Yo, what is going on, y'all? It's a London's the Winner's Paradigm podcast here. This is another week. We got a dynamic guest, Steve Cloward, here on the podcast. Steve's an amazing individual. He's went through so much in his life. He battled adversity, indictment, addiction, and he was able to rewrite his narrative. So I really love Steve on that personal level. Got a jam with him on his podcast and now being able to build that friendship. He's the definition of the winner's paradigm. So I wanted to be able to share this conversation I had with him. Number two, some housekeeping items that we're going to take care of. Go to thewinnersparadigm.com and subscribe. That's where you're going to hear about us. That's where you're going to keep up. Leave a five-star rating and review um, on Apple Podcasts. That way we can be able to get some dynamic guests like Steve that continually come on. And then last thing, we want to thank our sponsor, MyFitLife. That's where, um, if you actually go to MyFitLife.com, type in TWP20, you get 20% off all those products. As always, you know, I'm using these on the daily, so I'm not telling you to buy anything that I don't. I'm using this shit because it works and it helps me be able to push through those plateaus, push through those physical pains that I'm having in my body, be able to get this workout in. This is the Winner's Paradigm Podcast. Let's get it, guys. I've got my story, you got yours. I've dropped blood, sweat, and tears on the floor. Then looked the devil right in the eyes and told him I want more. When it's time to walk through hell's kitchen, I ain't afraid to lace my boots back up. Been there and back a couple times, but I made it through that stuff. I realized if you wanna win, you gotta recalibrate your mindset. Before there's no time left, mm-hmm. the winner's paradigm. My man, Steve, thank you for being able to come on the Winner's Paradigm. It was an honor, brother. I know yesterday I went on your podcast and we resonated so much. Um, we also have, you know, the same group of friends, you know, for the most part. So it was awesome getting to know you on a personal level finally. But I wanted to have that opportunity on the Winner's Paradigm, you know, talking about your story, which is amazing. And the kind of where you're at now and what you're passionate about, brother. So would you mind giving us a little insight there, brother? Oh, man, you bet. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to be here. You know, I'm. I, uh, you know, I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease in 1987. In fact, I was on a, a Mormon mission and I was just really sick. My gut was killing me every morning. And, you know, 19 years old, I was like 153 pounds soaking wet at that time in my life. And, uh, three months into that experience, um, you know, I was waking up with this horrible gut ache and down to about 124 pounds and ended up going home. And three nights later, I was in the ER. I mean, I went to doctors. I was in South Carolina and I went to doctors and and uh, didn't find anything wrong with me. Um, but I was kind of getting pretty pale and obviously getting down to 124 range is, is pretty damn skinny. And uh, I just knew there was something wrong. And, you know, for those that know anything about the Mormon culture, I've kind of, you know, gone away from that the last several years. But you're especially, you know, 20, what was it? Hell, it was 33 years ago. Um, forgot how old I'm getting, but, uh, you know, that was looked down upon, you know, you're, you're supposed to go and, and, uh, you know, coming home, like that's taboo, but I just, I knew I was supposed to go home. I didn't understand really why I just knew I was supposed to go home. And sure enough, three nights later, I was in the ER. They thought for a pen, just appendicitis, but when they cut me open, they ended up cutting out 16 inches of my small bowel, uh, that was ulcerated and black and perforated. And, and, uh, so that's when kind of the opiate started, um, 
I had always kind of been kind of a flatline type of guy. I mean, I'd, I'd be the guy in movies that would sit there and everyone was busting up and I'm sitting there thinking, well, that wasn't that funny. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so what happened, opiates, you know, my brain chemistry, but brain chemistry didn't react the way most people, it was almost like a stimulant for me. And, um, I'm not, I'm, I would, I wouldn't say I'm an introvert, but I'm not the guy that's going to go out and just, you know, walk up to people and talk to them or say I'm at a party. I, I guess the best way to put it is I do, a, I have had some social anxieties. Um, and you know, when I'm on opiates, a lot of that kind of disappears. And, uh, I was very functioning. Um, I was on, you know, on them for 14 years. Um, and by the grace of God, I was a functioning addict. I mean, I built a very, very successful real estate appraisal firm. Um, I was doing a lot of importing and developing real estate. And in fact, there was a time that I had a friend of mine, I owned an office building and I rented him my front office. He was an insurance guy and he's, he's probably eight or 10 years older than me. And I, I went to him at one point and said, man, I, I got to get off these pills. Um, and I remember him saying to me, why, why are you worried about that? You're doing well. You just, I'd rebranded my, one of my businesses and I was just, it was, everything was going great. <laughs> and, you know, here I am in a sense, reaching out for help because I was just kind of sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, and then I get that kind of response. You know, I'm not blaming him by any stretch because he, he doesn't know any different. Um, but I was so unexpected, um, you know, and then with the Crohn's disease, it was just so easy to justify staying on them because I had an experience one time I was driving to meet a buddy at the country club to go play some golf. And in I live in Orem, Provo area in Utah. And as you go down this eighth North and Orem, you get to Provo Canyon to what's called University Avenue. And as I came around to hit University Avenue, it's kind of a highway uh, that a couple of miles down, it's a golf course. And I literally went numb from my neck down to the point where the only way I can say what I felt, thought, or saw, I honestly couldn't even tell you hundred percent but I basically envisioned my body and me in my car, basically dying. And it scared the bejesus out of me. That day I had taken a bunch of different stuff, you know? Um, and so by the time I hit the driving range and pulled in, I'm a wreck. And so I got out and, and the buddy that I met and played a lot of golf with, he actually, had a real bad addiction for years and years, um, you know, and was doing a lot of heroin and stuff. And anyway, because I, I actually had a very good relationship with my gastroenterologist because his son used to work for me. So I had his personal phone. I knew where he lived. So my buddy jumped in my car and drove me over to the doc's house and he lived in a gated community. And so I, you know, buzzed the thing and he talks to me and he was having a, you know, they were having some sort of party, so I couldn't go in and talk to him. But he said, let me call uh, Dr. Olson, who's an internist, and I'll have you get with him. And this is so long ago that OxyContin, I hadn't even heard of it yet. It basically wasn't out there. 
I mean, it was there, but it wasn't like mainstream really. Um, and so when this internist told him, prescribe him eight Oxycontin because I'm out of town. I'll be back in two days and I'll work him in. And long story short, that of course, then I get the Oxycontin. And here I was literally to the point where I was scared straight. Like I'm ready. I'm done. I'm, you know, I, I'm thinking I'm about, I keep it up. I'm going to die. And so this doc gives me these Oxycontin. And then when I see him, he basically decides, you know, diagnoses me as, you know, mild depression. So I'm just self-medicating. So he wants to put me on antidepressants and wean me off, which, you know, that doesn't work. You, you just don't wean an addict. Uh, but what that did is that shifted my brain back to green light go, you know, you need these, you know, um, whatever. And, and so it took another, you know, few years before I got to the point where I just said no more, you know, and like I say, it, it, uh, it almost ruined my marriage early on because I got married and, uh, you know, then geez, a year and a half, you know, the brain chemistry now is totally different. And I literally, I mean, it's, I'm embarrassed to say what I did, um, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it'll seem so cold and it was cold. Uh, but frankly, I married, you know, on the rebound to a gal I'd known since seventh grade. And uh, after getting my heart broken to a gal, I was engaged a couple of times, you know, and, and uh, I was just so messed up that one day I went home and I just told her that I didn't love her and I left. And uh, for the next 18 months, thank goodness my attorney was <laughs> not very organized. And, and uh, you know, I, I run into him once in a while and I still thank him to this day because had he been on top of things and really pushed, you know, we, I would have been divorced, but now I've been married for 32 years. I'm incredibly blessed, you know, and uh, it was, you know, it wasn't easy. Obviously I put her through hell. That's, that's the addiction piece. I, I end up getting sober. Life's going good. You know, my appraisal firm's killing it. And then I get handed a federal indictment on a big mortgage fraud conspiracy charge, December of 06. After a state investigator handed me a gag order a year before that, because I was, my office was doing a lot of review appraisal work on a lot of other appraisers. And so basically they said, you know, if we request any appraisals from anyone else, you know, or even my office, but there wasn't, I think they requested one that, you know, then we would provide them that information. If you're a target of a federal investigation, they're supposed to let you know you're a target. Of course they didn't. And then a year later, that same state investigator walks in and hands me a federal indictment. And I honestly didn't understand how serious that was. I had a big real estate development, new construction going on in St. George, Utah, which is a three and three and a half hour drive from where I live. And, and I was taken off like an hour later um, to go check on that, which I did. And as I'm driving down, I get a phone call from the NBC affiliate, you know, out of Salt Lake City, asking me what my statement is about this big case, this mortgage fraud case that's blowing up. Um, this was, you know, like I say, in 06, right after things had just blown up for five or six years. And there was a lot of crazy stuff going on in the mortgage world. So in, in Utah in particular, it was like the first case of its kind. And, and uh, they definitely 
the judge even he definitely he made it point in sentencing that he was making examples out of us you know and and I ended up obviously getting sentenced to going to federal prison for 15 months and and uh you know it was it was it was messed up but I I often say to people, you know, there's a lot of things I did in my addiction that definitely would have sent me to jail, probably prison. Well, a couple of situations, probably prison. Um, the mortgage indictment thing, I was, I never conspired. And, you know, to this day, I can say I wasn't guilty of that. However, it was actually a great blessing, even though it was hell. Um, because, you know, when you get, not only lose your freedom, but you get, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's kind of like an alpha, you know, we're problem solvers. We go out and make stuff happen. And I hadn't run into anything in my life that I couldn't deal with, you know, whether it be through relationships, whatever. But this was one that there was nothing I could do. Um, and that was a tough pill to swallow. And then when you're sitting there and you've lost everything and all of a sudden you can't control anything and you know, your family's struggling. That was tough, real tough. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was really depressed for about four months and sitting there, you know, just playing the victim card. And until I got a letter from a friend of my mom's who I hadn't met till about seven years when I got out of prison, which is about five years ago, I met her. I've been out of prison 12 years and, uh, she sent me a letter and she said, I have no idea what it's like in there, Steve, and I will never try to tell you that I do, but I can promise you, if you will focus on three things at the end of each day that you can be grateful for, I promise things will change. And they did that. I mean, that changed everything because as you know, and so many of your listeners know that when you're in gratitude and focused on gratitude, it doesn't matter what emotion you feel, anger, depression, sadness, whatever, it gets you out of self. And, you know, when you're looking at what you do have, because there's so many people, no matter how bad off we have things in our lives, there's so many people that have it so much worse. And as crazy as it sounds, you know, the fact that I had, you know, I did have a warm blaze of sleep. I had, you know, three meals, you know, I traded some decent relationships. There's tons of things. If you just look at it, to be grateful for. And that literally got me out of the depression stage, you know, and then it was just at that point, it was just, you know, taking care of my time, doing my time and just trying to be the best I could be and deal with it, you know? And, uh, it was, like I say, it was a blessing, but it was, it was a tough one. <laughs> I love you sharing that brother. And thank you again, you know, and that's why I wanted to talk on that because, you're able to talk about your story, you know, and talk about the healing part of it. So what was that like, man? You know, once you get out and you're you know, sobering up and there's still trauma, you need to heal. So you're going through that process. You're finding your rhythm all the way to, you know, rebounding and starting the business again, brother. It's interesting because I remember my dad telling me he was a dentist, very, very successful dentist and, and big real estate developer. And I remember when he retired from dentistry and telling me, how hard it was for him to, he said, basically said, I felt like I lost my identity. He wasn't Dr. Cloward anymore, you know, as vain as that sounds, I know you'll get it because I then come out and I don't know who I am. 
You know, I lost my businesses and I couldn't get back into appraising. That was part of the situation. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. I did have the belief that I'd be fine because I had always been an entrepreneur. I mean, I was, you know, hustling lawns at like 10 years old, you know, and, and, uh, but something, it took a long time, to be honest with you. It took me about eight years. And it's because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, you know, so I was doing things. And there was times I was even making very, very good money, you know, but it was doing things that I really didn't care to do at all. And yeah, money does help. You know, I'd say that money doesn't buy happiness, but it sure puts a good down payment on it, you know. Like uh, that. <laughs> because if it, can, it can relieve that issue, then all the other problems that life throws at us, it's a lot easier to deal with them. Um, and uh, it's interesting because I had, you know, one thing that I've always been passionate about is just helping people. I mean, that's the one thing that fills me more than anything. But I had this, this hang up, this story in my head that I couldn't, not that I couldn't, but I guess that I wouldn't charge people to help them. Um, because I would go help them for free, particularly addicts or people dealing with federal situations, you know, or whatever. And the crazy thing is, is I was in the process kind of figuring things out when I first met Zach, um, probably two and a half years ago at a mastermind he spoke of at, and, uh, I had just started focusing on, you know, this podcast and, you know, getting my website set up to really start helping people, you know, reclaim their life, because that's really what happened to me is, so for eight years, I'm sitting here struggling and I literally spent over a hundred thousand dollars on coaches and courses and you name it. Um, kind of like expecting that magic bullet to just show up. Um, but until I was able to focus on my mind and literally to rewire my thinking and to do those little daily things that compound to get you results. That's when I started to rebuild the confidence that I lost when I kind of lost my identity, didn't know what I was going to do, really who I was, to be honest. And even though I believed in all that stuff, I'd learned a ton of it already prior to this happening. You know, it was, it's, it's really interesting when you've had a lot of success and then you go through what I went through, you forget how hard it was and the time it took you to get there the first time. And so what I was able to see very clearly that I was chasing things, expecting it to happen overnight, even though I know better, that's still what I was doing because I had been there. So I didn't think it's like subconsciously, I didn't think I would have to pay those dues again. But when you're starting out in a totally different, you know, field, niche, whatever you want to call it, of course, you're going to have to. And so as I, started to focus on just those daily little wins. That's what then started to compound and build that confidence, you know, and then things just took off from there. And, you know, last two and a half years, things have been pretty good. So. That is awesome, brother. And, and, and I love how you said that, you know, building the confidence and you were talking about that, you know, the mindset when you're out, I was just talking to Zach with that over the weekend. And um, it was crazy, you know, how similar, like all the feelings he was going through and what he was saying. And then we kind of compared it to me getting out the military and it was that, and it was like, yeah, completely two different things. And he's one of those people 
he's like, because I said the same thing people say is, um, you know, I wasn't in prison, but and he's like, bro, you went through so much shit in your life and yeah. you came out on that. And he's like, so don't fucking tell me that. And I like looked at him and I was like, I love you, man, for saying that. But it's true, though. We went through two different things, but similar things, similar things we had to do. You know, I went through the same thing, kind of go through the motions, being an asshole, being an alcoholic <laughs> still. And it was just like, this isn't me. And then when I change and I'm not drinking, people are like, you're a square, you're boring. Yeah. You don't want to do anything. <laughs> you're not fun anymore. Well, I don't want to, you know what I mean? Drinking a gallon of whiskey. Yeah, I may have been fun. I may have been the party and everybody had a good time, but I didn't. And it didn't yeah. lead me to good things. I ruined it, you know, my marriage before. I was ruining yeah. it during and then luckily was able to stop, you know. So I get when people are saying that and then it's just like finding the next thing. And, and regardless, you know, you can make the money. I, I got to a good point, you know, had a good job to where it's like, yeah, we made a little more, but I was still under their control and I was being the slave to them. And when life happened to me and it was like, oh, you know, and, and my nanny moves and now I'm taking care of the baby and it's, um, hey, is your heart still in it? And I'm like, what the fuck? Get out of here, man. Like, yeah. that's the first thing you're going to say to one of your top reps after I've overproduced. And then they're, you know, just kind of that. And plus that job was funny is um, I, they wanted us to keep overproducing, overproducing. And I had the mindset of why, why do that when I can just hit the bonus and just chill. And <laughs> yeah. That was one of the things that they would get upset about. I'm like, now, if you guys are straight saying that I'm going to get fired unless I hit bonus and I hit bonus, then why yeah. do extra work? And that yeah. was where, you know, going back to Zach and, and that hard time came and it was just like, we could start a business together. It clicked for me. And I was like, no, I finally get to do what I want now being in alignment with the right people, you know, right timing um, in the right rooms, as you would, you would say, you know, everything started to click. So in your case, yeah. when, you know, you're getting the business on autopilot and you're finally able to heal what you need. You're taking the time, you know, what was some of that work that was going in during that and kind of how was that feeling of it? Because we talked about prior. So I want to know, like, when it was all coming together, you know, what was that feeling like, brother? Well, it was great. Like I said, it took so much time because I think, you know, I was, I mean, just being honest, I, there was part of it was like lazy. I think part of it, honestly, I felt like I'd already earned it and deserved it, which is total bullshit you know, because I had worked hard and been very successful. And so, you know, I just, like I said, I thought I should be able to just be there like that. But when you have a trial and a situation to the level I did, where you're stripped of ever being in the industry you were in and having to totally start over, you know, it was, it was such a mind fuck for me. Now I let it be for as long as I did. There's, I own that and everything else, frankly. Um, and that, that probably is one of the biggest things. Um, you know, I read, read Jocko Willing's book, how you say his name, Extreme Ownership. And that was one I think I finally just changed everything. I, you know, even though I, you know, I, I wasn't bitter anymore, um, but I still... I think subconsciously there was still a bunch of garbage in there that was leaving me still in kind of a victim stance. And so after reading that and just realizing, you know what, there is no doubt that I'm where I'm supposed to be, number one, but I, I'm, I've been through what I've been through 100% because of choices I made, period. You know, the appraisals, you know, I didn't even do them. I own the company, but I had six guys, but, you know, I allowed my office to take on those jobs, you know, whether we knew what was going on or not is really irrelevant because I chose to take in that work. And so I have to own the consequences, 
you know, and I do believe that a hundred percent. And so once I kind of owned everything then I realized, you know, the old cliche, no one was coming to save me. It was time for me to save myself. And then I just started to work on me, you know, and, you know, whether it was reading, meditating, just kind of looking inward and just really being honest and saying, you know what, you're just being a pussy, you know, and, and that ain't easy, <laughs> you know, um, but that was the truth. I was just expecting, it was almost like I was just a spoiled little brat, you know, thinking, oh, it should just happen. Everything should just fall into place because I deserve it. I've been there. And that's just, that's such a lie. And uh, until I just decided I was going to put in the work like I did before. I mean, frankly, I hate sales. Okay. Um, and when I, I got into appraising because my dad had a full service car wash and convenience store gas station that I dropped out of college to run when I caught general manager stealing. And when he ended up selling that um, about five years later. And so all of a sudden I don't know what I'm doing. So it was kind of a similar situation in some ways, um, but I had never been like successful. You know, I'd had small businesses that I made some money and stuff, but you know, very young. So now I'm like 25 when he sells it. And um, a, a guy that worked there who was from Idaho, he came to BYU to go to college and he was working there. We became best friends and he ended up going to Idaho, becoming an appraiser. And so I reached out to him and asked him kind of what it took. And that's basically long story short, that's how I got into it. Um, and like I say, it was great, but so I tried to look at, okay, what was the difference of when my dad sold that car wash and now I literally, I don't have any income coming in. I don't have a job. I don't have a business. I mean, it, it was kind of like it was my business, even though he owned it because he was Dennis. He was never around. He was just happy it wasn't bleeding him dry anymore because he had blood there watching it, you know, um, versus coming out of prison and not having a job or a business. And I couldn't have a business for a little while on probation and stuff till that finished. But um but what I had to do when I got into appraising, even though I hated sales, I didn't have a choice. Like I had to go pound doors. And, you know, it's, it's weird how the people that I thought would give me business were the ones that actually didn't. You know, I had some very good, loyal car wash customers that were mortgage brokers. And the one guy I thought for sure, he said, uh, come talk to me in a couple of years when you're certified and, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and so in that situation, I was hungry enough and I hadn't ever had the big success that I had. Um, and I don't know if that's the reason why it was so much harder, you know, after prison and stuff, but it's like I wasn't willing to do the hard work, you know, for whatever reason. <laughs> and, and a lot of it was indecision of what it was I was going to do, you know, like I say early on until I got over that kind of that story that I could, you know, actually charge people to help them um, because, you know, people are paying $30,000 to go and, you know, get to a place to, to get help. Of course, I'm not dealing with that, but you know, why can't I charge them a couple thousand bucks to work with them, you know, for three months or six months or whatever. And so once I, and, and I think, just so your listeners know, I think a big piece of that too isn't isn't because I would do it for free, even though I would. 
It was that the confidence was missing to be able to go for it and not feeling worthy, like, you know, and so until I worked on myself and built some of that confidence back, it wasn't going to happen. I love that, brother. And I love how you use sales, you know, as that catalyst for me, I like sales, but it was kind of one of those where you argue back and forth. And, and it's like, I say arguing instead of negotiating, because that's what I yeah. did a lot of the time. And then it's kind of that where it's just like, well, and when I jumped into sales, um, I was working for a company that was formerly Sears. And what they did is they kind of went off that name, but they charged two to 3,000, 4,000 more for the same products. Oh, and it wow. was one of those where like people did, but they were running this ad campaign. Oh yeah, discounts. There ain't no fucking discount. So it was just like, that's where I was getting fed up with it. And I started doubting myself in that. And even, you know, um, working with Zach coming up with the business, it was like, no, we're doing high ticket offers. And it was something for me, it was like, what, you know? And it was, we're going to charge this much. And then it, I, I lost that fear because I went through it of the being pushy. And it was funny. He was talking about it. He's like, that's bullshit. And he's like, it's not. He's like, this is what it is. You have a good product. Someone needs it. They're going to buy it. That's really it. And he's like, and you're just telling me what it is. And he's like, hey, man, it's authenticity. And you're being vulnerable, sharing the story, kind of like the podcast, you know, when you're telling, hey, this is why it's going to help you. So in our case, you know, I'm helping out other podcasters. And I'm like, hey, um, Steve, I know you have a business. And you guys are killing it out there. And you're putting it on autopilot. How would you feel if you can just go into the conversations, reap the downloads from there, and then be able to have the benefit of having your own time so you can go be with your family? And you're like, yeah, that sounds good. So it was the way he framed it that way. Um, so I love that. So in your case, brother, what would you say, you know, I know you've been married for some time and um, you have children as well. You know, what is the one thing that you're able to do as a husband, as a father that allowed you to elevate from that and really, you know, now be present in the moment, now be able to give back and really be appreciative. Like you said, you talked about gratitude, um, but it's taken that further step. Well, I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, being a leader again and, uh, you know, I'll probably get jumped up talking about this, but as a, as a parent, you know, you want your kids to be happy. That's all you care about. Um, and I remember calling home three weeks into prison. My oldest boy at the time was a senior in high school. And uh, I've only been gone three weeks. He's now the man of the house. I was the dad. All my boys were baseball players. I was the dad that this will date me a little bit if anyone knows baseball at all, but goes out and buys, you know, if I go out and buy the new stealth bat for one of my boys, I'm coming home with three of them, 400 bucks a piece. That's just what I did. And here I'm calling home and I'm talking to a kid that's not even 18. He's 17 going on 18. And uh, he says to me, none of that stuff matters. Man, that just tore me up that he could so quickly understand that we all are guilty of getting caught up in stuff, you know, and to hear him recognize that and see that to, I actually say that everything I've been through, the addiction, the prison, losing everything has been worth it because my kids been able to be a front row seat, all that shit you know, definitely what they don't want to do. And I made a shit ton of money, but I was also very foolish with my money in the past because I, you know, had I been smart, I would have, it would have been taken by the feds anyway, but um, there was a lot of good lessons that came out of it. But anyway, three of my boys actually work for me. And so 
really until the last two and a half years, I had been, in a sense, the way I feel is I was stealing from them a little bit, in a sense, because I wasn't leading the way I knew I could and should and did in the past. And, you know, I think that was part of, you know, me finally just saying, fuck everything. I got to get my shit together. And that, you know, it was more that than the financial issues and, and wanting to make a lot of money. I'd be lying if I said I didn't want a lot of money because I do, because I know what it does for me that allows me to do things for other people. But also, like you said, I mean, there's nothing more than family, you know, and spending time with them. And you've got to get your business to a point um, so that you can either replace yourself or like you say, it can be on autopilot in certain, certain ways so that when you are away, you're not spending time dealing with things or thinking about it so that you're not, you know, present because that was a big thing that I, there's a lot of things I learned when I'm sitting in prison, obviously. Uh, but I was still, you know, I was coaching my boys and doing a lot of things when they were young, but I, that's one thing I was not, I was not present. I was physically there, but I was not mentally there most of the time. Um, and so, you know, the things that matter the most to me are hundred percent leading by example. And that's, you know, I was able to get involved, like I said, with my dad's car wash and turn it around. And frankly, it was because of my grandfather. He just led by example. He did not come there and say many words. Uh, he went, he ran Brigham Young University food service for 35 years, had tens of thousands of employees over that span. And they all loved him and he did a phenomenal job but he led by example. And so when he'd come around my dad's car wash and my dad's getting his ass handed to him and I'm trying to, as a young kid, you know, turn it around and save it basically because it had bled him dry. Um, my grandpa would just come piddle around and he would do just the small little things. And he'd come up to me and say, hey, who's waxing your floors at nights? You need to talk to them, they're being sloppy, you know, and just he'd get the putty knife and he'd go down and scrape that whack, you know, off the, off the baseboards and stuff. And so just watching him doing those little things is what showed me the little things matter, you know, and the two principles he really taught me early on in that business that have served me and will serve me forever is, and I guarantee no matter what business anyone's in, these two things are two of the biggest keys, no matter what industry is take care of your customers. So, from a standpoint in the car wash, what he said to me was give your customer the best car wash possible in the shortest amount of time, you know, because people don't want to wait for 30 minutes for a full service car wash, but at the same time, you can't do it in 10 and do the job right, you know, but so just do the best you can in the shortest amount of time and make them happy. But then he said, make sure that every one of your employees understands that they matter to you and you appreciate them. Oh. He said, if you can do those two things, I promise you this business will grow. And two years later, my dad sells it for literally about a half a million more than he had offered, you know, where he was willing to just dump it to get out, um, which paid off all his debt and then a little bit, you know? And so it was a great experience. And those, like I say, those two principles, I mean, customer service is pathetic in the world today, <laughs> you know, 
I 100% agree with you. And I love that. I worked for a company and it was just like, even the CEO, I just took him off LinkedIn finally. Before I wanted him there and I kind of was doing the, you know, um, kill him with kindness type thing. And I want him to see how good I'm doing away from the uh-huh. company. And then it was just one of those like, nah, I don't fuck with that guy in a core values point of view. He would come out, we're working at the mortgage brokerage and I get he buys leads. Um, and that's something you do in that industry. And I, I believe it can be and cannot be effective. Um, in that case, you know, it was a call center. So he, yeah. he would just come out and he's like, I just lost a million dollars in fucking marketing. Like, well, sounds like you have a fucking marketing problem and you need to solve it yourself. And like, so don't <laughs> come to me at minimum wage and tell me how much money you lost. when I'm not making jack shit. And obviously, you know, in my case, like, yeah, I didn't have my license. So I wasn't where I needed to be. But it was one of those that really angered me. It was like, this man was so about money and, oh, and, and I, like, I want a quarterly event. And that was well, the day yeah, about, how, uh, I mean, he was lucky to have someone with your skill set anyway, because how exactly. many people are going to be mo- motivated by that kind of bullshit to perform? You know? Exactly. So <laughs> I actually won. I was one of the top sales reps again. And um, they, they had a yacht, a yacht party. And it was kind of like that. The guys that I hung out with there, they were, they're all doing Coke and stuff, Adderall like crazy. And I was just like, yeah. yeah, probably not the way for me. Good thing is we got the keys to our house that day. So I didn't go. And it was for that wow. reason was like, I'm not trying to be around that crowd of people. And they were all partiers too. So it was like, it was a frat house on Fridays, you know, at lunch. Fraser, I saw it, a lot of mortgage. Yeah, <laughs> we, we would go to Hooters, awesome. our, our yard house at lunch and just yep. start pounding beers. And it was it was fun, don't get me wrong. And like one of the guys, one of my best friends now, and I'm going to hang out with him this weekend because he started a business. So he's like, hey, bro, I need help with leads. And I'm like, I don't know how we're going to do it, but I'll sit down with you. We're going to go on Fiverr, hire somebody. We're going to pick their brain. And then we're going to watch YouTube videos and figure out there, string out the referrals. So it was awesome. Like, now building those relationships and in that case it was like i didn't go on that trip specifically because of that and it was one wow. of those like i was following this guy yeah you know he's cool but he was just one of those like i'm just all over the fucking place all the time and i was just like bro i can't deal with you and i'd say like that's the biggest thing for me now is like with zach and in our team they're always talking about core values core values yeah. and even like i just recorded underdog empowerment with him and he's like what's the one thing that you would say and i'm like bro you're gonna laugh and i'm like core values. I never really understood, like, I know like Marine Corps is honor, courage, commitment. We lived up to it, but I wanted to have something more for me. So I wrote mine to be an action plan. I got to look myself in the mirror. You know, I got to be like, yo, am I being myself? Am I living up to what I am? I got to self-reflect and journal because that's been huge for me where it's like, I got to cry it out and sometimes relive that trauma so I can get through it. I'm going to write a a hate letter this weekend and put all my feelings in it. And I'm going to burn it, you know, move on that chapter. And then um, you know, being accountable because again, you know, how am I going to set the example if I can't do that? And how am I going to be able to adapt if I, if I can't even, you know, follow what I say I am. And then the last part, you know, is the biggest for me is learning an application. Cause I feel like we read the books, we have the conversations we are, but we just go back to doing the bullshit we're doing. Or in my case, you know, before I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm being a good husband. And it's like, before my daughter came along, I, w- I would pick days, you know, I'm like, I'm just, <laughs> yeah. um, doing everything I can. And I'm like, well, if I grind all to fucking 11 o'clock at night today, that means I can have the whole day tomorrow for my wife and I could take her and I can buy her everything that she needs and she wants. And then it really came down. It was like, yeah, she gets what she wants, but we're not spending time every single day. And that's where like the baby came along and I made that a priority. So that's why one of the questions I asked was that is like, you're there. You put the business on autopilot. I want to learn how I can be there. So I really appreciate you, brother. Love you, man. And I really loved, you know, having the swaps and getting to know you on a personal level. 
Um, what would you say would be the one thing you'd recommend if someone's recalibrating their mindset, they're at square one, like we were, they're trying to figure out, Hey, how do I gain momentum? How do I put myself in that door so I can be able to align myself with my definition of success? Yeah, I'd say just really define what it is that you're, that you want. You know, that's, that's one of the things, yes, I had the confidence and the mindset things, but I was still struggling on really where my focus was. But once you decide what you want to go for, you know, then just be intentional as hell and don't look back. As I look, as I, as I compare my appraisal experience when I had basically no options the way it looked, right? And then once I decided I was going to be an appraiser, I didn't get distracted at all. Partially, you know, it's kind of unfair to say that it was, it was easy then because technology is not where it is today meaning we weren't sitting with these stupid phones in our hands, distracting the hell out of, out of us all the time. And, you know, there wasn't all these shiny objects to distract you. Absolutely. And so it was, frankly, it was simple. And that was a big struggle this time around for me was because I was looking to get where I was so quickly when I never got there quick the first time, I was allowing myself to be distracted all the time and never committing all in. And so just once you make your decision, you go all in and do not look back. And if you do that and don't give up and find somebody that's got what you've got, there's no way you can lose if you put in the work. That's it. Bro, I love that you brought that up because I actually had a call yesterday with someone and um, they're on the fence. They're at the beginning of that journey. You know, in their case, their dad had a business and they're working there and they're like, I don't know what my skill set is. And I came as overly ambitious and it was like, well, am I really the problem. And I'm like thinking about it. And I'm like, yeah, I've, I've heard that so many times from people is like, oh, you just seem like you're an action taker. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm just all in on what I'm doing. Like I quit my job. My wife's sitting there. I get a call from Tim and Tim's like, hey, brother. So Zach said, if you want to roll and you want to start this fucking business, let's do it. And I'm like, OK, let's do it. And my wife looks at me and she's like, so you're not going to count me in this and hang up, you know, and I'm like, no. And I'm like, well, you know, eventually when the money's there, you're going to be happy. But this is something I need to do to be the best dad I can be, the best husband I can be. And living that job, working 60, 80 hours is bullshit. And I'm not doing it anymore. So yeah. it was kind of cool. She was like, all right, you know, we're in a place where, yeah, we, we can survive. But it was really like me doing that, doing the work, actually doing it, you know, um, even building the business. And it was like one thing was falling short. Well, my wife's big thing is she wants the house clean at all times. So that means cleaning every day. I don't want to do that shit, but it's doing what you don't want to do. Now I got a happy wife so I can actually do what I need to do. And then, you know, when does X event? I clean the house before and after. Why? Because I want her to come home and her to be happy. And that was something that I used to be like, yeah, whatever. I don't need to do it. And now it's like learning those small things because I'm able to be present and doing it. So I love that you're able to share that today, brother. Yeah, we'll, you're we'll you're ready to have that dialed in. You, you've got your miles ahead of most because, you know, there's it's sad how many relationships you know, get tossed aside and you go from one marriage or one relationship to another. The bottom line is the only thing that continues to grow is what you are. I mean, let's face it. Why is it that before you have the girl, you know, that you're dating exclusive or that you get married, why is it that we put all the time and effort to plan dates and whatever else, but you know, once you got it, why, why allow yourself not to do those things and expect to have that fire still burning in the relationship because it won't. So yeah. no, I, love, 
That's, I love you. You pointed that out, brother. I, I fucked that all up initially. Um, oh, dude, so yeah, long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at the, so when we first got together, good thing is we grew up together, so we're already like really good friends. That's but true. um, I was so drunk at my Marine Corps ball, and I was going through like a toxic ex and shit. And kind of my wife is texting me, so she's like, "Yeah, you're not getting nothing." So me being me was like, "Fuck her." Then I could just get something else. Yeah. So we're like sitting at the table, and they're like. Oh, is this your wife? Are you getting married? Fuck no, I'm never getting married because I also didn't believe in marriage because I've never seen a successful right, marriage yeah. at that time. And and even the one that I thought I did when I turned 21, they get a divorce and it was messy. All this shit comes out and I'm like, so both y'all fucking aren't perfect. And I start going crazy because they're putting me in the middle. And I'm like, now it makes sense why kids take it so hard. So um, with yeah. my wife, fucked it all up. Good thing is we had, uh, I say it like, like it's a good thing to be happy about. We had a miscarriage. And that's what drew me back. I took care of her for two weeks and I was like, I can do this, you know? And it was like, it's always been bumpy. We've had shit. I don't talk to my family. And that's been a huge problem in it, you know, as they run their mouth and do these crazy things. And she's like, it would make sense why you don't want to be that way. And I'm like, yeah. So like, that's one thing, like um, I just joined uh, Larry Hagner's group, Dad Edge Alliance. And I'm like trying to learn how to be a better dad and husband. And he's like, text your wife and say, um, what's the greatest strength in your marriage? So I did that no response. And then I'm like, fuck, well, did I I do something? He's like, no, you're just changing the way that they think of you. So that's what happens when you start asking those questions, you throw people off. And it was, you know, she's like, what is it? And I'm like, well, regardless of what we go through, I move out, you know, we get in big fights. Um, We always figure out how to fix it and how to move on. And now it's like, we're finally at that stage to talk more. Don't get me wrong. You know, we still have our days. Um, It is ups and downs, but that's something I'm glad. That's that's normal because we're so different species. You know, exactly. Yeah. Well, me and her night and day and she's she's more forgiving and it Uh doesn't matter what, you know, she's like, oh, that's my fat me. I'm like, nah, I'm cold hearted because I know that people don't really give a shit and they're going to treat you the way that you allow them to. And then in my case, I have narcissistic parents and I have family that didn't really give a shit. So it's just this repeating cycle. So it's like for me, I didn't really care. Plus, my dad brought girls in and out. So it's like I had that adapting problem young at young. But when I got older, it was the same fucking problems that were coming out. It was like, I didn't care for anyone. just didn't give a fuck. And it was just alignment. You know, I was like doing this yep. bullshit. But when I got dialed the fuck in and I started doing what to say, I'm going to do. And I started making it a priority and meditating and having the great conversations, staying away from negativity. That's where it's changed for me. That's that's awesome, man. Awesome, brother. Well, last thing here, where can anybody find you if they want to keep up with your podcast? They want to hear about your businesses or even follow up with you, brother. Hi, you can find me at lifeafteraddictionandindictment.com or backbonemediasolutions.io or pretty much any social media, just Steve Cloward. Um, but, you know, can reach out. If you want to chat, you know, if you need help with anything, I'm willing to talk to you, anybody. And life's, life's too tough to, you know, struggle if you can get help. So don't be afraid to ask people for help. That's a big thing that I didn't do for most of my life. Cause I allowed that pride to get in the way, you know, uh, people, people love to help people, you know? And so don't be afraid to ask, but thanks for, I appreciate you having me on today. This has been, this has been a blast. Thank you, brother. Yeah. We'll definitely have another episode in the future, you know, kind of talk where we're at and how life's going. Cause I know we and you chop it up well and we have great, great questions we throw in with it. So appreciate you brother. And I'm really grateful that, you know, we are crap, our ah, crop, we cross paths. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks again, man. Take care. I've got my story. You got yours. I've dropped blood, sweat, and tears on the floor. Then looked the devil right in the eyes and told him I want more. When it's time to 
walk through hell's kitchen I ain't afraid to lace my boots back up Been there and back a couple times But I made it through that stuff I realized if you wanna win You gotta recalibrate your mindset Before there's no time left 